For the past eight months, we've spent time together following and studying the three-and-a-half-year earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And if you're anything like me, you've been challenged, you've been stretched, you've been encouraged throughout that time. And as we know, because we've told you so many times, we did not do this for the reason of learning more, head knowledge about Jesus. We did this really with a threefold purpose, to know Jesus more intimately, to follow him more passionately, and to obey him wholeheartedly. And as we have done this over the course of eight months, some of the highlights are amazing that we look back and look. At Christmas time, we looked at John's amazing description on how the word turned into flesh into Jesus. Beautiful picture of who Jesus is. We saw the initiation of Jesus's earthly ministry through his water baptism. We saw Jesus be led out into the desert and tempted just like we are every day, but yet he was without sin. We saw Jesus perform miracles to show and prove that he was the son of God. We saw Jesus teach that the only way to know the father was through knowing him. We saw Jesus interacting and ministering to the socially unacceptable. We saw Jesus rejected by his own people and nearly thrown off of a cliff. We saw Jesus call his first disciples and minister to them day in and day out. And we also saw that one of those 11 disciples betrayed him, just as was predicted 700 years earlier. And as a result of that, he ended up dying on the cross for you and I. And just two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, where he rose from the dead. It has been an amazing journey for eight months, but we're not quite yet finished with Jesus's earthly ministry. We have one more significant thing to look at in our time together. Now, after Jesus's resurrection, the Bible says that he was around on earth for 40 more days. And during that time, he first showed himself to two disciples who were walking on two disciples from Emmaus who were walking along the road. He then showed himself to Mary Magdalene, then to his 11 disciples, and then to 500 more. All for the purpose of providing convincing proof, proof that he was indeed risen from the dead. But after those 40 days, something very significant happens. Jesus was ascended into heaven. And that is what we're going to spend our time looking at today as we wrap up our sermon series, Hashtag Jesus. And as we always want to do, let's go to the Lord and ask him to guide us as we turn to his word this morning. Dear Father, we just thank you for your love and your mercy. Father, your mercy that comes in the package of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, he's our shepherd today, right now where we walk. So Father, we're just asking you right now to open up our minds and open up our hearts to what your word has to say about the significance of the ascension to our lives. We ask you to be with us this morning. It's in your son's holding and precious name that we pray. Amen. 
while you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to spend the majority of our time in the uh, first part of the first chapter in Acts. And what we're going to do is, is study the actual ascension. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you that Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And the reason that he sets out to write the book of Acts is to really is to document the spread of the early church after Jesus left. And really document it. Right? Luke was a, a devoted historian laying out what has happened over time so people like you and I can look back and understand what God's teaching were and how the church had, um, church had spread. Before Luke records a single thing, though, about the spread of the early church, Luke really sets the context for what took place before the church started, after Jesus ascended, and what was going on those 40 days before he actually ascended in heaven. So let's look at chapter 1, verse 3 to start. Luke's, after his suffering, obviously talking about Jesus, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and God spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus appeared to them for 40 days. Now, he just didn't walk around showing people the, the nail marks in his wrists or his feet or the scars on his back to prove that he was alive. That was certainly part of it. But this passage says that he kept speaking of the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is talking about is the coming kingdom of God. Jesus here is specifically talking about a time looking forward called the millennium where God will burst forth in the form of Jesus through history into man, in the world, and set up his role and reign on the earth. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And look how Luke continues after Jesus says that. He says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here in Jesus' last little bit of time on earth, we see that he gives the disciples the first of two commands that are coming in. They're telling him, hold on. Stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave until you have the Holy Spirit, until it comes. And what I find interesting is we talk about the triune nature of God, right? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But nowhere in the Bible do we see the word Trinity anywhere. But we see the beautiful description in this passage talking about the triune nature of God where Jesus is talking about his Father sending the Spirit to Jesus' believers on earth. And look at how the, Luke records the response of the disciples in verse 6. So when they met together, Jesus and the disciples, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So it's interesting, he starts that verse 6 with the word, so. He's referring back to verse 5. 
And the reason he's doing that is because there is always this close connection between the restoration of the kingdom, the kingdom to come, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. The disciples would have, would have known that through the Old Testament. They were, those things came together. So there's thinking, well, Jesus is talking about the coming kingdom. He's talking about the coming of the Spirit. So he must be talking that the restoration of Israel is right around the corner. That it could happen at any time. And you know what they've gone through at this point in history. They are ready for Israel to be restored and to come from under oppression. And in his response to their question, Jesus not only answers it, but gives them the second of the two commands. Look at verses 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Essentially now, Jesus has given them their final marching orders. It is going to be time for you to leave. When you have the Spirit, you need to go and make disciples. And then look what happens in verses 9 through 11. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So as we see right here, that just like Jesus' birth, just like his death, just like his resurrection, that the ascension is a literal event. That this event happened. There were witnesses. People saw it. Luke recorded it for us so we can learn about it and that we can understand it. But despite what Luke writes, despite the eyewitness accounts, there are still some in the church and outside the church that don't believe in a literal ascension. The rational mind gets in the way of thinking about gravity, that there's no way a man can be hoisted up into the sky. But we have to believe from the bottom of our hearts, just as we do in the virgin birth, that our Lord and our Savior was ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. That the ascension is a real, a historical event that has historical significance in it and also spiritual significance for each one of us. See, from a historical perspective, the, the, the ascension of Jesus signals the end of a chapter of his earthly life. But we know that's not the end of the story. But there needed to be a time. There needed to be an event in time and in, in, in place in front of people that, that brought that time in his life, that earthly ministry, to a definitive close. The church was going to spread. The word was going to continue. 
Jesus couldn't be personally involved with everybody as that happened. His appearances to most people would become fewer and fewer and farther in between. Think about it. People would be wandering around Jerusalem asking, hey, where did Jesus go? He could have been in Europe. He could have been in Africa. He could have been in Asia. Right? That would have created confusion. I haven't seen Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? I don't know. Where did he go? You know, that these appearances would just get fewer over time, and then ultimately they would just kind of peter out, and then Jesus would ride off into the sunset someday. No, you see, God is not the author of confusion. There needed to be a definitive end to his time on earth, and the ascension serves as that purpose. And the disciples, from the disciples' point of view, it signaled an ending to them, but also a beginning. It signaled an ending because now their faith, which was in the flesh and blood person of Jesus Christ, they were with him. There was a physical presence there. Their faith was based on seeing what he had done. That their faith now had to transfer to a Jesus that was in heaven that knew no time, didn't know space. That now their, their faith had to transfer to the one that they could no longer see. So the ascension in and of itself is an amazing event that draws a conclusion to earth's um, earthly ministry at that point. Just like the virgin birth is so significant for you and I. But it's not only an historical event. It is spiritually significant for each one of us. And what I'd like to do is to show you how it's spiritually significant for each one of us. And to do that, I want to tie the spiritual significance of the ascension to the letters that we see in his victory sign behind us. And I want to do that because not only is Christ victorious over the grave on Easter, he is victorious every day. And because he is victorious, we can stand victorious in his ascension with him. Okay, so we're going to start by looking at the letter V. Let's go back to the very first verse in the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 1. Luke starts by saying, in my former book. Now what's his former book? The book of Luke, right? The gospel of Luke. We go back and the gospel of Luke covers the virgin birth, covers the birth of Jesus all the way through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. He's saying, my book, which covers all of Jesus's life. Okay, that's how he starts. So it's in my book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. He said that he began to do. So in my former book, which is everything that Jesus did on the earth, he began to do. That little word began is so significant because what that says is his earthly, his earthly ministry was just the beginning of what he was going to do. 
that it indicates that Jesus' ascension was not the cessation of his work, but the continuation of his work as the Lord and the Messiah. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven in victory. In victory over death. Jesus is very much alive today. He is alive and well. And because he is alive and well, he is active in our lives. He is very much active in everything that we do. That he cares about the details of our lives. He cares about the work that he's created us to do. And not only does he want to do his work through us, he is sitting at the right hand of his father working on our behalf, which takes us to the letter I, that Jesus is actively interceding on our behalf. Now we have spent eight months studying Jesus. We know he got tired we know he got hungry. We know he was sad, that he was disappointed. He felt pain. He wept. He was tempted. And because of that, Jesus understands how we feel. He understands what we're going through. He understands the struggles of being in a broken and fallen world that Satan is wreaking havoc on. He stood with Satan face to face. Christ knows what we're dealing with. And because of that, Jesus serves as the unique intercessor or mediator between us and God. Advocating on our behalf. This is exactly what Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter to him. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. See, in our study of Jesus' time on earth, we have learned that his death and resurrection, that we gain forgiveness, we gain justification, and we gain peace with God. This is exactly how Paul, Paul is a beautiful summary of what Jesus did for us while he's here in, in um, Romans chapter 4 verses 25 and 5.1. He says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, faith alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what God, Jesus accomplished for us while he was on earth. But now with the ascension shows that Christ's work does not stop there. Number one, he is exalted at the right hand of the Father. Look at how the writer Hebrews puts it. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now Jesus just isn't sitting down at the right hand of the Father at the majesty of heaven. No, he is interceding on our behalf. He's interceding for his people as the true high priest. Look how Paul puts it to the Roman church in, in 834. He says, Christ Jesus, who died 
more than that, who was raised to life is the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So it is his position at the right hand of the Father. Jesus sympathizes with our struggles. He knows what our issues are. He knows what our challenges is. And look what he tells us. He tells us, bring them to me. I not only know what they are, but I want you to bring them to me. And I will do what you ask in my name. Look at his words captured in John 14, second part of 12 through 14. I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. See, regardless of our circumstance, today we live in victory. We live in victory because Jesus Christ is ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of, the, of God, intercessing on our behalf, taking our petitions to the Lord for you and me. He's working on our behalf right now. And that takes me to the letter C. We saw this earlier in the Acts passage that Jesus commits the Holy Spirit to us. After his resurrection, Jesus told his followers, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And as promised at the day of Pentecost, God sent his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, the Bible says that the Spirit came as a, as a, like a, a sudden sound, like a blowing of a violent wind when it came. Now in the midst of all of this happening, Peter addresses the crowd. Because in that crowd you have believers, you have non-believers, and Peter's reminding them, hey guys, remember, this is what Jesus was said was going to happen. If you jump forward to chapter 2, verse 33, in the middle of Peter's address to them while they're standing there, while this is going on, he says, exalted. He's talking about Jesus. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. He said, Jesus said he was going to do this. And not only is he saying that the promises of Jesus came tr true, but it's also promises from God before Jesus ever walked the earth. And God spoke those through the prophet Joel. Chapter 2, verses 28, he goes, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You see, because the Lord is ascended into heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, they, he sent his spirit to be present with his people. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And what I love about that is that the Spirit just isn't present in our lives. It's just not a, a warm feeling that we have or, or a presence hovering around us or anything like that. The, the Spirit is with us to empower us, to empower us with a purpose and to empower us with the mission. We saw that in verse 8 in chapter 1. It says, you will receive the holy power I'm sorry, you receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work that he's created us to do. 
and the Holy Spirit gives us the, the, the transforming power, transforms us believers to live a new life that reflects our heavenly king. And this is, remember the Corinthian church was struggling and Paul's reminding them that this is what we're called to do. He says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. We're to be more Christ-like every day. And that glory which comes from the Lord who is a spirit. You see, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to become more Christ-like every day. To be more like Him. To, to be the men and women that God's created us to be. To do the work that He's created us to do in the midst of this fallen and broken world. The only way we can be victorious doing what He's created us to be is by doing that with the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus commits the Holy Spirit to you and to I. And that takes us to the letter T. That at Jesus' ascension, he was installed as the true king of the world. And as we saw in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, Jesus was taken up to heaven into a cloud. A little later in Acts, in chapter 7, verse 15, 55, Stephen declares that he sees the risen Lord standing at the right hand of Jesus. And these texts suggest the fulfillment of the important prophecy of Daniel. So incredibly important. So turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is a vision of Daniel. And again, before Jesus ever walked on this earth, look at the vision that Daniel had. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, right? That's Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Right, the Ancient of Days, that's the Father. He was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In short, Jesus is king over all. And guess what? He will always be. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jesus will and always be victorious. And we know this by the promise that's made in Revelation, the book of Revelation. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. It says, to him who overcomes, right? That's us believers. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. We're going to sit with Jesus on his throne. That's our promise. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He's saying, I overcame and so will you. That is victory. Not only for him, but for us. 
Jesus will reign at God's right hand until all of his enemies are defeated. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord is claiming victory. See, God's kingdom is inaugurated through the ascension of Jesus as the true king ruling over the world, sitting on heaven's throne right now. And in doing so, he stands victorious as the true king over his entire creation. That brings us to the letter O. That through Jesus' ascension, our homecoming is prepared. Now, I think most of you would agree, or all of you should agree, that there's nothing like a homecoming. Whether you're away on a business trip or, or away for, for college for a little while, or, or maybe you're returning to a city where you once lived. And with that homecoming comes an, an excitement. It comes an expectation. And we get that because of the loved ones waiting for us on the other side. And at some level, I'm sure we've all have experienced that. But I'm telling you right now, there's no sweeter homecoming in the history of the world than Jesus going home to be with his father. That it was so important to Jesus that he not only talked about it before his death and resurrection, that he spoke about it after his death and res resurrection. Look at the book of John, chapter 16, verse 28. Look what Jesus says. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. And then after his death and resurrection, we see him talking to Mary. Jump forward to verse 20, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus says to Mary, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Can you imagine that homecoming? Jesus had fully accomplished his mission. He had fully accomplished everything that he had to do on earth and he glorified the Father. And now, Jesus ascended into heaven. The Father glorifies the Son. And this is exactly what Jesus prayed before he ascended. Go to John 17, verses 4 and 5. Look at Jesus' prayer. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. See, Jesus knew he was going home. And so are we. We need to take heart knowing that Jesus is planning on and preparing for our homecoming to be with him forever. And I can guarantee you that it'll be nothing like you've ever experienced in your life.
And that takes us to the letter R. That his ascension sets up Jesus' return as king and judge. In Acts 1.11, we saw the two angels tell the disciples that Jesus would come back the same way that he left. That this is a promise that Jesus will reign one day here on earth again. That that promise will be fully realized. And we see that in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15. Look at the vision that John has. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. This is the very thing we pray. When we pray, your your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That at his return, the Lord Jesus will execute divine judgment vindicating the downtrodden people and judging his enemies. And if we happen to be here because of our relationship with Jesus, we will stand confident knowing our position in front of God. That we will know as Jesus is coming back exactly what our destiny is going to be, which is going to be in heaven. That is what God's word promises us. You and me. Do we know that today? Which brings me to the letter Y. Do we've got to realize that God did this for you and for me? That God so loved us that he not only sent his son to die, he not only sent his son to be buried, he not only sent his son to be resurrected, but he also sent his son to ascend into heaven so that we can enjoy eternity with him. Now that is victory. That's victory for you and I. And that is why the ascension is spiritually significant for all of us. Every single one of us. Now we're going to get up and we're going to walk out those doors today. Realizing that the ascension is this literal event that happens. There's spiritual significance in it for each one of us. But I just don't want you to walk out the door knowing that. I want you to leave today aware that Jesus is presently reigning as king. That he is involved in your life. That he understands the details. He's with you in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Jesus knows exactly where you're at and he is working with you. He's working through you and he's working on your behalf. He is alive and well, and he is involved in your life. And as you leave here today, I want you to do so with a conviction to live boldly and confidently and strategically 
as a servant of our exalted Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Because remember, you were empowered by the Holy Spirit. He has given you everything that you need to do. Everything you need to do what he has called you to do, you have in the form of the Holy Spirit within you. So as you leave, you go boldly and confidently and strategically set out to do what he's asked you to do. And as you leave here today, know that Jesus understands what is going on with you. He knows our suffering. He knows our pain and our disappointment. So if you find yourself in that spot, I challenge you to take heart because Jesus has been there. He knows. And more than he knows, he is exalted on the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Hearing your prayers, every single one of them, offering them up to the Lord, doing what you've asked him to do. He's fighting for you. And as you leave today, I want you to leave with the hope of a glorious future. That the ascended Lord Jesus Christ will end suffering. He will destroy death. He will defeat his enemies. And he is going to set up his kingdom of truth, righteousness, and love. And best of all, he is going to be our king forever. So we stand in victory today. We stand a new creation. No condemnation. We stand to sing his praise. We stand to sing his praise. And we will rise. Just as he did, because we live in victory today. That we know our eternity is secure. That we can walk boldly and confidently, victoriously, in the power of Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We will rise.